Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Here at Beyond Belief, we stand firmly with the Black Lives Matter movement against murder, against white supremacy, and against the systemic racism present in the USA, in Australia, where I'm from, and beyond. We urge you, as a listener of this show, to stand with us against injustice and state violence, and we ask that you donate to the following organizations. Black Lives Matter, Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, ACLU, the National Bailout, the NAACP, and in Australia, Sisters Inside, the David Dungay Fund, and any others you see that need it. You can find links to those organizations in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. 31% of us, it turns out, believe in astrology. Mm -hmm. Yep, me too. I think there's something there. Thank you, astrology. I don't really believe in you, but maybe that's because I'm a Virgo. Zodiac signs have gotten out of control recently. If you are just scrolling on the gram, scrolling on Twitter, you will be able to find out how much of a piece of shit you probably are just based on your star sign alone. You've already seen all the headlines. Millennials are turning to astrology in the age of uncertainty. How astrology took over the internet. Young people are replacing religion with astrology. They reached a fever pitch almost two years ago and they haven't really stopped ever since. Every week, there's a pearl-clutching article questioning what it means that more and more people are looking to the stars. Does it mean young people are irrational? Do we even believe in this stuff? Or are we just looking for lols? What does it all mean? I'm Jericho Mandiba, and this is Beyond Belief. I love astrology, and so do most of my friends. I've been studying it in one form or another my whole life but I can't definitively pinpoint why I am drawn to it, let alone how it all works. Kudos to those brave journalists for trying to figure it out though. Many say that the renewed interest in the craft of astrology first practiced in ancient Babylon is due to the fact that it's a system that works really well with memes. Others say it's the logical result of Trump's election. Others still, that it's because we've worked ourselves into a perpetual state of ennui, the likes of which only a strongly worded horoscope can temporarily abate. Whatever the hypothesis, astrology now has a firm grip on our culture in a way that it hasn't really since the 60s and 70s, or maybe even ever. But even still, the confusion or outright misinformation surrounding the study and interpretation of the transits of celestial bodies and their effect on us. And the fact that horoscopes are just the tip of a large iceberg with astrology is rife. 
Even the most objective media coverage makes it sound like astrology is just a thing that desperate people are attracted to, something to cling to for meaning, rather than something that might actually bring people a measurable level of personal growth or even joy. Commentators will usually ask astrologers about their belief in astrology, as if it's a religion. But is it? Most astrologers will talk about it as a system that you can use rather than something to put blind faith in. And it's been established for some time. Even psychoanalyst Dr. Carl Jung had a good handle on astrology and its importance. And yet skeptics continue to abound. Maybe it's because astrology is marketed heavily at women. And things associated with women in our culture are usually coded as either frivolous, vain, or hysterical. Therefore, most mainstream, read straight white male, interpretations of astrology will give it the dismissive label of a pseudoscience. Never mind that the same could be said for, say, economics. Can astrology thrive in new ways while toxic masculinity remains in place? And what about the concept of destiny, anyway? And how do astrologers serve people and communities with an insatiable thirst for prediction when they're supposed to be a bit more agency-focused than that? And what's it like to be an astrologer in this climate? Let's ask one. In fact, let's ask one of the best around. And while we're at it, we'll find out how astrology is supposed to work, what we're getting right and wrong about it, and why your birth chart That unique snapshot of the sky at the exact moment of your birth could be the key to unlocking your full potential. Aliza Kelly is the resident astrologer of Cosmopolitan Magazine, the host of the awesome weekly podcast Stars Like Us, and the author of The Mixology of Astrology and Starring You, A Guided Journey Through Astrology. Elise has consulted countless celebrities and regular people, and her work has been featured everywhere from the New York Times, The Cut, Huffington Post, and many more. Elisa Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, okay, I'm going to dive right in and ask a little bit about astrology. How does astrologer briefly define astrology? Well, the way that I would describe it is the interpretation of the planets and the celestial bodies, the mythological understanding of how those influence us on Earth. I'm very interested in the mythology. I'm very interested in the narratives that have been assigned and prescribed to these planets and celestial bodies over the history of thousands of years. I'm interested in the way that that interpretation changes over time. And I'm interested in using those planets and celestial bodies as tools to greater understand self and to our relationship with our external world within our own individual orbit. Mm. How do you explain to yourself how these kind of mythologies, these stories and these like archetypes were created thousands and thousands of years ago and yet are so accurate as a language to describe the self? I mean, I, I think that there's just this incredible power. I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan. So the power of archetypes, the power of storytelling, I think is a tale as old as time. And I think that the circumstances may have changed. We may not be thinking of, you know, astrology in 
of yore was very much thinking about like, when are the crops going to yield? What does the harvest look like? When is someone going to get married? When is someone going to die? It was a lot more fatalistic and it was a lot more functional. But now with the advent and the understanding of psychology, we have started to approach astrology from a much more cerebral place. And this is the type of astrology that I apply in my practice. I love to learn about the more morbid interpretations about astrology from the old astrologers from the 1500s, 1600s. But the way that I actually work with this material is through a process of sort of reflective understanding. The stars and the planets and the celestial bodies mirror back our experience. So we're able to separate ourself from ourself just enough to be able to get a different angle on what our reality looks like at any given time by using astrology. So I guess it's sort of twofold. You know, on one hand, I honor and respect and I think it's super cool that there is this amazing mythology and there is this amazing history and and all these lineages. But at the same time, the way that I apply it is somebody as they would be applying it, you know, a contemporary person with our contemporary needs and our contemporary times. Mm, I love that. And so the question that people ask of astrology the most out in the world is like, how does it work? And I know you don't have like a super fervent answer to that question. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you think of when people ask, how does it work? I love when people ask me to explain how astrology works or how to legitimize this practice because it gives me a chance to be such a fiery Leo, um, whereas I feel like I often don't have the opportunity to be so sassy. And and my, my answer is that I don't know how it works. My more sincere and earnest answer is that there is an incredible magic to astrology. And, you know, I have been learned how to interpret these planets and the signs and their relationships to one another, almost in a very technical way. And then I apply that technique, I apply that learning to the way that I work with my clients, the way that I write horoscopes, the way that I create my material, and it, it just aligns. The magic of trusting astrology and trusting the universe is that it does just that. But of course, you know, for the skeptics, my answer is is a lot less detailed because I also think that how does astrology work is the trap that makes people feel like they can't enjoy or appreciate or participate in this language when it really is just a language. It's a deep, rich vocabulary for understanding the world around you. Mm, That's so interesting, you know, because like not a lot of us could explain in detail how film works and, you know, like there's celluloid and there's, you know, some kind of process where the projection, but like nobody really knows, you know, unless you're a filmmaker and that doesn't stop people from suspending their disbeliefs. What stops them from having that, that same experience with something like astrology? Is it just that they're freaked out by themselves and what it might reveal? I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, the systems in place, the traditional establishment doesn't ever want any practice or anyone to have agency. And astrology 
provides astrologers and quizitants, those who are enjoying astrology, with agency and information and choice. I think that on an institutional level, astrology has always been seen as the enemy because it allows people to have free will, ironically, even though people would think that astrology is sort of the box that you get put in. Astrology is actually recognizing you're in a box in the first place and then allowing yourself to step outside of it. So I think that's one. And then two, astrology since the 1960s has been associated with women's interests. And there were many decades that women's interests were only seen as a tool for monetization, but never something to be taken seriously. And horoscopes were just, you know, have always existed in the backs of magazines, but they were sort of just shoved into either a column or the last page or the corner. And now in the past several years, led by people like Jessica Pels, who is the editor-in-chief of Cosmo, who I think is a true visionary, she's saying people love astrology content. People have always loved astrology content. Women love astrology content. So why are we reducing this to a tiny marginalized section of our magazine? Now that we have people who are coming into power who are not reducing women and women's issues to something that needs to be shoved into the back or into the corners, we actually are allowing the things that we have always been interested in and that we always care about to have more visibility. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's it's so interesting because there's whole communities of people talking about this stuff on Twitter, for example, but at the same time, like personally, if I tweet about anything spiritual, I'll have at least one person in the comments who's still like bristling at the very idea that I could use a platform like that to talk about these things that otherwise, you know, they might not have in their public sphere because they had kind of the luxury of not having that stuff, quote unquote, in their face. And now it is. So yeah, like, I'm wondering if you can share some of your thoughts on like, just the, the perception of astrology and how it's changed in the last few years. Do you think that the interest in it has actually significantly increased? Or is it just that it's more in front of us with social media and, and therefore like the media talking about it so much? I think that the interest has absolutely increased. I mean, I started working in astrology in very late 2013. And I built an astrology dating app at that time. I was living in Los Angeles and I was in my early 20s. And I was seeing the fact that, you know, I've always been more of like a weirdo, right? I've always been more of like a left-hand path type of person. And I was in LA hanging out with these girls who went to like private schools in Los Angeles and they were talking about their sun, moon and rising. And I was like, what? Like, okay. <laughs> and not to say that th that was the archetype of, of basic by any means, but I noticed that, you know, it was more than just me and my like little goth friends who were talking about this stuff. So I started to observe it then. And that was what the catalyst for starting a line, um, the astrology dating app was. But again, that was 2014. And somehow that's five years ago. And astrology at that time, when we were going and shopping this idea to Los Angeles based investors and VCs, they were like, astrology, like, I don't know about that. Like, that's so 70s. And the reason that it does have that vernacular is because that was the last time that it was really big. 
But now we're speaking in internet culture. We're speaking in memes. And I really think that there's something to be said for astrology as this adaptable language that's now taking on that nature. And it's, it's absorbing that own lexicon of today. 2014, it still felt like I was arguing with my grumpy conservative uncle at Thanksgiving dinner was the energy of like trying to explain that astrology is growing in popularity. And then Trump was elected in 2016. And then everything changed. I think in a lot of ways, it was a perfect storm because already there was a growing interest among our generation and Gen Z of wanting to redefine our language and wanting to find something that allowed us to express ourselves in a way that was fun and playful, but also multifaceted and multidimensional and unique and something that we could really be creative with. And languages like astrology just so perfectly lent itself to that. And then on top of it, we had, I would say, one of the biggest traumatizing events to happen to the social consciousness since September 11th occur, which was Trump's election. Interestingly, in my own timeline and the way that this converges, we had closed down a line two months prior to the November election in 2016. I was living back in New York now, and I was at a bar that night with my co-founder, and everyone knew that we were astrologers. And incrementally, one by one, as the election night went on, more and more people started walking over to us being like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And it was the first time that I had seen that people were interested in astrology, not just to know who they were compatible with, which was previously what the bulk of a lot of the queries were, but to try to make sense of what was going on in this crazy changing world that was um, devolving right before our eyes at that moment. So 2016 really shifted the way that people interact with astrology and I would argue spirituality at large. Mm, and it hasn't really stopped. And we have like um, other astrology apps now like Costa that have raised millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's really annoying. CoStar, if you look at the Align legacy page, which is still up, and you look at CoStar's page, you'll see a lot of similarities. I feel like it's very important for me to say publicly and to talk about the fact that astrology didn't just come out of nowhere. It just didn't come out of thin air, this movement, people's interest in it. There were people who paved the way for astrology and technology to converge. There were people who paid the way for astrology to become part of the zeitgeist. And I definitely think myself and my former business partner were one of them. We participated and worked very, very hard to let venture capitalists become aware of what the amazing opportunity of astrology is and saw absolutely no return on all of those meetings other than to know that CoStar raised $5 million and came a few months after us. But at the same time, I think that one of the gifts of being in the position of being the one that came first was that I can speak to the full experience of what it was like before and after. We'll be right back with Eliza Kelly in one sec to talk about the potential dangers of watered down astrology memes and inexperienced astrologers, not to mention apps that access your data, plus how much work goes into creating good horoscopes and how the birth chart is the map to understanding one's personality, one's experiences and one's life cycles in detail. 
For now, I have a bone to pick with people whose main gripe with astrology isn't that they believe it to be an unprovable system or some such, but who take issue with the vagueness of horoscopes. They might say something like, it said I like getting my own way. You could say that about anyone. Well, what are you applying, sir? That because your horoscope, with no information about you except for the placement of the sun in the sky the day you were born, should know your first and last name and your deepest secrets and your Google Calendar details? Would you prefer that horoscopes were more prescriptive and more predictive, like down to the wire? Or would then that just make you say, well, that didn't happen to me today in exactly the way it was described and therefore screw you? There are no pleasing these people. Because what they're really dismissing is the threat of a knowledge system that's not explicitly sanctified and verified by so-called rationalist, materialist forces out in the world. Forces that we know that historically take the ideas, theories, and sciences that advance their aims and their ideologies and leave the rest discredited, gendered, and or ignored. How annoying must it be to be someone like that in 2020? Astrology is everywhere you look. I thought I might miss the hair salon lately, but I really don't because instead of going to the salon like I used to, I've started to use Madison Reed's at-home hair color kits and for a fraction of the price. Their kits are infused with natural nourishing ingredients that your hair loves. Things like argan oil, keratin and ginseng root extract, which gives you super shiny, healthy looking hair. Madison Reed is also really convenient. They deliver their products right to your door. So on your own schedule, you can color your hair in under an hour yourself. So get ammonia-free, multi-dimensional hair color delivered to your door, starting at just $22 at madison-reed.com. And use my promo code BEYONDBELIEF and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. My promo code again is BEYONDBELIEF. Visit madison-reed.com to find your perfect shade. That's madison-reed.com. I don't know about you, but looking after myself right now is something of a struggle, especially when it comes to cooking. Thankfully, Sakara can deliver fresh and healthy meals straight to my door. Or yours. Sakara provide plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals made with organic ingredients and superfoods. And all their meals are 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. And in addition to their meals, Sakara also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support your overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their order when they go to sakara.com slash beyondbelief or enter beyondbelief at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash beyondbelief to get 20% off your order. Sakara.com slash beyondbelief. So, yeah, I kind of want to ask, like, between founding a line and now, what have you noticed in all of this that makes you really hopeful and really excited about the extra attention on astrology and what makes you despair? 
<laughs> well, what makes me despair is an easier one for me to answer because what makes me despair would be big businesses creating astrology content, but not consulting with astrologers and sort of wedging out um, the actual experts in the space. I encourage everybody who's reading astrology content to get to know the astrologer who's writing it. Astrology is a narrative tool. It's a it's a storyteller. You'll find some horoscopes, some astrology content, even some readings and workshops that really, really resonate. And then you'll find others that um, maybe you don't connect with as much. But when you look at the astrologer who's writing it, you'll have a better sense of like, oh, yeah, this person is speaking my language. They share these experiences or I like the way that they approach this. But if you don't know who's writing your astrology content, already that's a red flag. Something's wrong. I'm not saying that every astrologer needs to be public facing, but you know, it's the same as going to a bookstore and becoming obsessed with a book that has no author attached to it, right? Yeah. You're going to be asking some questions. Yeah. You want to know who's behind the text. Or even like, you know, going onto like a, a wiki how page with no author as opposed to actually going to and getting a book by somebody who's Exactly, an exactly. Totally. Whenever we can exercise our ability to be cognizant of things, we must. It is so imperative that we always question and challenge and say, who is this being created for? Because if people aren't asking who's writing their astrology content, that's really intimate material. There's definitely opportunities for unexpert people or even malevolent people to impose their own agendas onto somebody's very intimate horoscope reading. People who are astrologers have studied and dedicated their lives to continuing to use the craft of astrology to make positive difference on a micro and macro level. And then I think on a, on a larger scale, we have seen that before historically, which was basically that is the same cycle that happened between the 70s to 80s to 90s. And by the time astrology reached the early 90s, it was like cliche and hackneyed because all of these non-astrologers were writing astrology content. Yes. And it was very like appealing to people's insecurities, their need for a soulmate, things like that. Yes. I mean, it takes me, I write the monthly horoscopes for Cosmopolitan and that process takes me, it's three hours per sign for me to write it. So it's a lot of hours, right? And it's a labor of love. But I also feel like as an astrologer, there's a big responsibility in horoscope writing. Yeah. Speaking of like the juicy inner work that can come with astrology, if someone's like never had their birth chart read or, you know, may not even know what their birth chart actually is, like what are they missing out on? I mean, the birth chart is my favorite part of working with astrology because it is this endless map. It is this endless piece of this visual content, data set, timeline, calendar that we can use to understand somebody's personality, that we can understand the roles that somebody has in a person's life, that we can use to figure out what their timing for things is going to be. So what I do working with someone is I basically figure out where they are at that precise moment of time and what is going on in their orbit. And then from there, we can anticipate how things are going to move. So we use the birth chart as a snapshot, not just of the moment that person was born, but also in relation to where we are in time right now. So it's just this constantly evolving, transformative process. To me, there's really nothing like it. 
Is it true that it's mathematically impossible for two people to ever have the same birth chart? I would imagine that it is mathematically possible that two people could have the same birth chart. You know, if two babies pop out at the exact same second in the same location, they're going to have the same birth chart. But life is going to affect their birth charts very differently from the moment that they're born. So I I like to tell my clients that the birth chart is really 1% nature and then 99% nurture. Twins can be born minutes apart. Those minutes in the birth chart can tell transformative stories, right? That affects the timing that something is going to happen to one or to the other. But on top of that, let's say they're literally, they come out at the exact same moment, which twin is held by the mother, which twin is held by the nurse, right? Is one twin a boy? Is one twin a girl? Obviously, we have different ways that we are interacting with baby boys and baby girls, and all of that stimuli is going to be affecting their birth chart. The realities of our world bring our birth charts to life. So without being alive, the birth chart is just sort of a who cares. It's sort of like a static object. But when things happen, the birth chart actually lives and breathes. And we start to understand who we are in relation to our reality. And when people are born at the same time, their circumstances are still going to be totally, totally radically different. Was there one kind of aha moment in like your study of astrology that made you go, oh, like this is it and I want to spend the rest of my life studying it? There are definitely two aha moments. The first was discovering that I was a Pisces moon. I had grown up knowing what my sun sign was. My son is in Leo. I fit the description of a Leo sun. I would say externally, I get it, totally Leo sun. But nothing that I had read prior to understanding the moon sign really explained a whole other thing that was happening to me, which was that I am an extraordinarily emotional person. I had never read anything that was really describing Leo in those ways with those sensitivities. And then also with my intuition and my psychic abilities. And then when I discovered the moon sign, which is your emotional inner world and what describes your internal reality, and I I found out that mine was Pisces, it made so much more sense to me. It really helped me finally have the language to describe my truth. And the Pisces moon was cataclysmic in understanding the dimensionality. And then that was only the beginning. Everything else, as I started to add more layers, was like, oh my God, oh my God, of course, of course, of course. It all checks out so perfectly. And that was in the discovery of astrology seven years ago. And then in more recent years, in the past five years, I was with my mentor and she said something about Jupiter crossing into my eighth house. And then I looked at my chart and I was like, Jupiter's in my seventh house. That doesn't make sense. It just clicked how the planets in motion, the transiting planets activate a birth chart and that our birth chart is just one piece of this much more complicated puzzle, which is how things are occurring in any given moment relating to us. Mm. What's something else about astrology that you wish that everyone would just understand or clear up like once and for all? I would say that astrology is the one place where, where we are allowed to be ruthlessly selfish because in fact, the more selfish we are in understanding our own birth chart, the more 
we will have improved relationships because we're realizing that it's not about finding someone to complete us. It's about understanding who we are. And when we understand who we are and we understand what we need, then we're going to be attracting the people who are right for us, who complement us, who give us what we need in all of the many ways that we need things and desire things. You can't just derive long-term relationships by looking at two sun signs. It's not enough information. So because we can't mine everyone's data, (laughs) astrologically speaking, from all around the world and have access to everybody's charts before we meet them and build relationships, my advice is to just spend that time looking deeper and deeper into understanding your own truths, your own needs, your own life. And then when someone comes around who makes sense for you, it doesn't even really matter where their planets are. It doesn't even really matter what their birth chart looks like as long as they're hitting those needs that are so integral and essential to your happiness holistically. Mm, I wish I heard that about gosh, 10 years ago. I know. (laughs) Thank you. Likewise. And, And Eliza, thank you so, so much for coming and talking to me today about this. Thank you so much, Jericho. You are such a goddess. <laughs> Thank you. I could listen to Eliza talk about astrology all day. Speaking to her was a powerful reminder, not only of the extent to which the culture at large is still grappling with astrology and its meaning and significance, but more importantly, the depth and the richness of the practice itself. It's so complicated. It would take a lifetime to unravel. And I can think of worse things to do with my time. Of all the things in the world to take issue with, astrology seems to be the least offensive. But it's not the people that are willfully ignorant or ambivalent about it that kind of concern me. It's the tone in which some people or media outlets conflate astrology with a lack of self-knowledge or agency, when really, agency is the whole point. This episode of Beyond Belief is our ninth, if you can believe it, and that's bittersweet because after this episode, we're going to take a little break. Not forever. We still have episodes in the can around things like you know, energy healing, UFOs, DMT, and we want to share those with you. But for now, we're going to have a reset and that's a good thing. It'll buy us time to make the podcast even better for season two. And speaking of which, I would love, love, love to hear from you. The Wonder Media Network family who produced this show have made a survey. So tell me what you want to hear from season two. What topics should we cover next? Who do you love? What could be better? What keeps you up at night? Now is the time. Share it all. So visit wondermedianetwork.com slash survey to share your thoughts. And you can win some Wonder Media Network swag in the process. So that URL is wondermedianetwork.com slash survey. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. I'm so grateful to every single one of you. Thank you for being here and we'll see you in season two. Beyond Belief is a Wonder Media Network production recorded on Tongva land and edited and produced by Liz Smith with the support of Edie Allard. 
Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to lifting up underrepresented voices based in New York City. On Living Open, a podcast for mystics and seekers, host Erin Johnson holds space for vulnerable conversations about healing, spirituality, and purpose. Featuring interviews with inspiring humans like astrologer Chani Nicholas, moon witch Sarah Godestina, and sexuality doula Evian Whitney, Erin and her guests explore self-trust, trauma healing, embodiment, the intersections of spirituality and social justice, astrology, intuitive tarot practice, creativity, and more. And I'll be a guest on her podcast soon too. Listen to the Living Open podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, living-open.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts.